Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Brian Laffin, and we're back with a new episode of Stream Close Up the podcast where we talk to the creative forces behind the great shows that you're watching on your streaming services. We took a little break, but moving forward, you can expect new episodes on a regular basis. Today, we're very happy to welcome as our guest, actor, writer, director, husband and father, Alexander Kareem. Alex is the lead in the new pan-Scandinavian drama Advocaten, playing the lawyer Frank Nordling, opposite Malin Buska. Alex has worked around the world in film and television. For three seasons, he had a key role on the FX series Tyrant. Alex has played opposite Nicolas Cage in Dying of the Light and made a small appearance in the Oscar-winning film Zero Dark Thirty. Among other roles, Alexander was the lead in the recent reboot of the beloved Swedish classic Jonsenligen, and he's also known for his reoccurring role in the Johan Falk franchise, and as being a regular on the Arnie Dahl miniseries. Alex will tell us about those experiences and his journey from Helsingborg to Hollywood and back. He'll talk about his unusual method and how film and television became a family business for Alex and his brothers. In for his stream close-up, Alexander Kareem. Okay, everything you say now can and will be held against you in a court of law, Advocaten. Welcome to the show, Alexander Kareem. Thank you so much. Alexander is out doing the work promoting his latest project, Advocaten, which is premiering right now on Via Play. Alexander has the responsibility of being the star of yeah. the new project, and uh, he does it with ease and grace, I have to say, Advocaten. I've had the pleasure of watching the first four episodes. And wow. I'm hooked. I'm in. I'm in. Fantastic. All the way. Uh, before we get to the work and talking about Advocaten, as we like to do, we want to hear a little bit about your background. Sure. As I understand it, you grew up in Helsingborg. I did. How do you go from a guy growing up in Helsingborg to someone who's playing in some of the biggest films of all time, uh, small parts, but big, big films, yeah. working in the UK, the US, and all over Scandinavia. Right. What's the evolution? Well, I, I think it started off with me being, I mean, we lived in Helsingborg and we lived in a very well-off neighborhood. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, but we lived in sort of the, on the, the, the right side of the track, quote unquote. But, and growing up with those kids, I was the, we, ours was the only uh, black family in that part of the city. And, um, and so you had to adopt. I mean, you, you adopt certain traits and certain ways of behaving. I mean, all the kids that I grew up with, sort of sons and daughters of wealthy businessmen and so on and so forth. And and so you just start acting. Uh -huh. you, you start play acting uh, them, 
uh, kind of a thing. And then on the other hand, hang, I, hang on. are you aware? When did, when did you become aware that you're play acting? Then that must be something you see in retrospect, or you're aware while you're doing no, it. I think I'm. I think no. You're aware while you're doing it because they're not eating their food the way you eat your food at home. Uh-huh. So right off the bat, you're like, all right. So how do I? What do I do in this situation? And you start sort of adapting to that. You're uh, studying. You're taking. On you're trace, studying you're exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, subjects, things to talk about, and so on and so forth. And then, but on the other side of the tracks were my other buddies, because uh, I've done martial arts most of my life. And my martial arts buddies, that's a whole other sort of, um, I mean, some would call it the ghetto of Helsingborg, but it's not, a, it's, you know, this is sweet. Well, ghettos it's not, are relative, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so, and to be to to hang out there, you you start behaving in a certain way, and so that's how I got into sort of, I think that's how the whole chameleon, I the thing of changing and like the shape shifting idea comes into play. Zelig. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then also we just watched a ton of movies. Uh, that was our escape. I mean, our friends went off to to ski in the Alps, or did, they went to Switzerland, and they went everywhere for their spring breaks and everything. And and we couldn't afford that, so we traveled. But in in the world of cinema, and when you say we, you're talking about your brothers here, my brothers and my sister and my mom, and and your brothers and your sister, they're in the business as well. Both my brothers are, brothers. Uh, yeah, they're directors. They're directors. Okay. Yeah, I see that you've done some work with your brother Baker. Is it exactly? And also, I've done some work with with Osman, my other brother, but Baker mostly. So you, so the family has emerged from this experience. To work as storytellers on both Absolutely. sides of the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, growing up in an, in a Ugandan ha- household, storytelling is a part of, of of what you do. I mean, it's a it's a storytelling culture. Uh, sitting around telling stories of. I mean, to this day, I don't know what the weather was like when I was born because it keeps shifting. <laughs> I don't know what the the conditions were like. I mean, on on, on the on one day it could be oh, crocodiles cried on the day, and that's good luck. And there was this storm that came in, and we knew that that was a good omen. And the next next time you hear about it, it was a sunny day, and you came out and you were out, and nobody <laughs> even noticed. And you know, it's, everything shifts depending well, on the mood. As, lo- it, as long as you're still in the story, <laughs> I'm still in the story. But you go from being, you know... It's interesting. We had Malin Buskop, your co-star from Advocatina, and she talked about how storytelling was important to her culture growing up north of the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Uh, That was also... That's the genesis of her becoming an actress. Perfect that you two find each other in this this, uh, project. Yeah. So, So you go from being a chameleon... And someone who's way into film. When you say way into film, what stuck out? What, what do you remember from being a kid? What what resonates still? What are the who are the heroes? Who are the people you wanted to emulate on on screen? Star Wars was our first sort of because we had a reel before the VCR showed up. We had like an eight millimeter projector, and on that we had a twelve minute synopsis version of Star Wars, the first one. Cool. The whole thing boiled down to twelve minutes. We used to watch that, rewind, watch, rewind. And then came all the classics. And by the way, for you kids listening, this is pre uh, binge watching. We didn't. We had to work to watch things over. Yeah, and over there was again. no binge. <laughs> there was binge eating, but there was no binge watching back <laughs> exactly. in those days. Um, but I mean, the and then from there we went on to the classics. When the VCR showed up, we had Ben Hur, and we watched the Ten Commandments, which you know. Okay. Um, so a, but then also film study for real, definitely Citizen Kane, all the classics, uh, Butch Cassidy. But then came because my mom has kind of an odd film taste. Um, she she loves the old C C movie, like 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 the really terrible horror movies, okay. Zoltan, Hound of Dracula, okay, where you see the special effects strings. Exactly. And, there's a charm to that filmmaking as well. I love it. So we got it all. I mean, we got highs and lows, and we watched everything, just everything. And as a result, you guys are all in the business. That's yeah. fascinating, actually. Yeah. So you're self-made actor. Did you go on to do any formal training as part of your journey? Yeah, I. I turned 19 and I moved to L.A. and I went to L.A. Theater Academy. Um, And Hang hang on, slow down now. You turn 19, you go to L.A. Yeah. Are your brothers already there? Are you going on your own? Tell me. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My brothers went to L.A. to study film. So they'd been living there for a while. And I was sort of, do I go to L.A.? New York is more of an actor's town, I guess, but they already lived there. Um, And so I went to L.A., Um, 
to join them there. And so I started studying theater and, and sort of naturally the natural progression of everything was they're directors and producers and I'm, I'm an actor. Let's do stuff together. Um, and so, yeah, that's the way. So who went first among your family? Osman, my oldest brother. Osman, okay, so yeah. He, so he broke the ground for you guys. He definitely did. I mean, he, he's eight years older than I am. And so he went and he sent these makeup kits back to my middle brother, Baker, who's sort of the artist. And he sent these make uh, Rick. Do you remember Rick Baker? Rick, the guy, the, the makeup horror artist. film guy. Oh, he's a makeup artist. He did the makeup for Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh, okay, and he did, yeah, yeah. yeah, the greatest. Some say the greatest makeup artist of all time. So he sent the Rick Baker makeup kit back to to Baker, and for years and years he used to like torture me with. I mean, I gotta, I gotta try, <laughs> I gotta try this burn thing on you, and he's doing all this makeup to make burn mar like make me look like a burn victim or a gash over the forehead and scare all the parents and and uncles and stuff like that. And so it was all, it was a constant sort of present. There was a constant uh, presence of film and filmmaking in our lives. So it was just a natural arc that you're heading into oh, yeah, this yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. way. We made movies at home, home movies. and so, so what was the LA experience like for you? I thought it was fantastic. Um, I mean, I remember... And, and not even in retrospect. I mean, even when I was there, I remember one of my friends was depressed and I used to always tell her, uh, I used to say, Courtney, we're, we're 19. We're actors in Hollywood. The world would give their right arm to be where we are right now. Like there's no one, there's no cooler place on the planet to it's be. It's 22 degrees in sunshine. Let's go watch the sunset over Malibu. <laughs> What's know? wrong? <laughs> Everything is perfect right now. Uh, but but again, if you're going there to pursue your dreams and it's not working out, I guess it can be heartbreaking for more people than it's successful. Absolutely. But I mean, we were in school. She was, she was 20 years old. and I, Life was great. Did you end up working in the States then before you came back in any parts or? I did. Actually, the, the, like, right after school, I got um, uh, chosen to be in, a, in, in the Hudson Theater. It's an old, really nice, uh, respected theater. In L.A. In L.A., yeah. yeah. And uh, I started auditioning, and I got two parts, um, two leads, actually, in, in two movies. And I didn't have a visa, and I was trying to get that. And then I had to go back home, and I was telling my agent, I was like, come on, let's just fix it some And then I went went back home, and they just, they just never materialized. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. That must have hurt to have it something did. that close. I mean, the, yeah, they were indies, of course. Okay. Uh, it's not like I got to... It wasn't Universal Studios knocking on my door, yeah, is all I'm saying. It, you right? have to start somewhere. You it's credit. Really Come do. on. You really do. Um, but I... Pre and especially then, I preferred working here, starting off here and just doing like doing shorts and actually playing the parts that you really want to do rather than chase... A Taco Bell commercial for years and years and years. A little bit of both. I guess, you know, as an artist, you have a vision for what you want to do, yeah. but you also want to work, so you can't exactly. always choose where it goes. It's exactly. nice when it lines up that you do get to do the things you like to do. Exactly. So, so you got a chance to work with your brother Baker on a couple of his productions early on to yeah. really refine your chops and yeah, yeah. find your voice. Yeah. I mean, we had a project called Playground, uh, which was, I mean, we had our projects that we wanted to make, big budget things and writing the scripts and stuff. But we also had this side project we called Playground, which was take take the idea that you have and let's just go out and shoot it. And so we made lots and lots of little short films that had great success um, and won all kinds of awards and stuff like that and really became our sort of gateway to the business. Um, but just the idea of doing something not on a schedule, not with a you know, production coordinator with a whip, just having or a line producer, just just doing it for the fun of it and experimenting. How are you guys financing it to ask a boring question? I mean Well the first playground production called Limelights uh was ten dollars. Excellent half, Listen, half, half hour movie. So an idea is more important than exactly. anything else. Exactly. Um so I mean that's that's all we did. We just made these little short films. It was a DV right when the DV camera started getting really good back in 2000. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good times. And and then you transition, you start to appear sort of in the Swedish conscious in TV shows. You yeah. pick up a part here and there. 
uh, something called Orca Orca. You pick up wow. a couple of episodes. Directed uh, by Baker, by the way. Uh, directed by yeah. Baker. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, ah, there's the connection. Laser Manon, you have yeah. a role there. And then the December Dream, you end up with a right. nice arc, seven episodes. Yeah. There. Is that yeah. sort of your breakthrough in your mind? No, I mean, the December Dream was Yulkalender. Um, okay. Yeah. So, with Alicia Vikander. Okay. I, I uh, see a lot of great names in the productions you've been a part of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it, I, I, I can't really say, I mean, a lot of people talk about, oh, that was the big break. But I always feel like there's there's no exact project that's mm. been like, oh, that that's where it happened. There's been a lot of little sort of nudges step towards, by yeah, step by steps so i i have i am I, I'm no, just, there's no titanic <laughs> I, but I'm, you go you move into sort of these starting to move into these sort of classic swedish titles that you yeah. inhabit now so you are part of this you're, you're a go-to swedish actor after you know um i i don't i don't know after you you're in johnson legan the reboot there yeah. you're in the arnie <laughs> dolph uh, yeah. series you're in uh What's that other Johan Falk? Uh, Johan Falk. Yeah, yeah. Well, did you do ten or twelve of those things? I think thirteen. Okay, so yeah. then you you are part of a- sort of Swedish culture at that point. Absolutely. I mean, Johan Falk is the most. Uh, I think it's the highest grossing DVD sale in Swedish film history. That's Swedish films or foreign yeah. films. That's like it's ridiculous how big that show is here. Um, so I, I mean, if I had to pick one, that'd be the Johan Falk would be the the sort of thing that tipped. Tipped it all over the edge. After you on Falk, someone saw me in that, and they called me in for Jönsson Liga. So from that point, things started just. It was, People started chasing you, yeah, and you chasing them. Exactly. Okay, that exactly. must be a nice feeling when that starts to it's happen. It's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> how does it feel to get a call for Jönsson Liga? Okay, that's a Swedish Buskies s classic. Yeah, you know that has it resonates with families all oh, yeah. around Sweden. Do you have any reservations? Thinking, ooh, do I want to take that on? Is that no, I I never have reservations as far as um, what are they gonna say, like those kinds of reservations. I I rarely have those. I'm just that there's a there's a it's it's sort of someone has done it, so there's an expectation rather than having that blank slate. No, I I like that. Um, I mean, everything that's a challenge is a challenge, right? So I, there's no sort of um, there's no guide as far as don't do something that someone else has already done. I don't have anything like that. Um, as far as Jönsson Ligan goes, if they wanted us to do Jönsson Ligan the way it's, the way it's been, so we want you to, to get as close to your character Von Heden as Ulf Brunberg, I would have said no. That's not interesting. Yeah. But if you want to do something fresh with it, absolutely, let's let's throw ourselves into that and see what happens. You're off and running. Yeah. And, and then you start, you have an interesting career arc here. You, yeah. <laughs> then suddenly you start to put your toes in the water with lands again. You yeah. pop up as a bartender in a German <laughs> series. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you end up in the UK yeah. uh, for an arc in... Uh, the last weekend. The last, yeah. the last weekend with a really disturbing character. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's an interesting artist. I don't know how to put it. He's an interesting artist, yeah. He's doing some wacky stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just saw some clips from that, so I really can't speak deeply about it. Yeah. But I was disturbed by what I saw. I was moved by what I saw. <laughs> and I was fascinated to think about that actually being real practice for art. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I mean, I think it sounded pretty interesting. I mean, he's creating... He's, he's cut himself or he's burned himself and he's connecting electrodes to his to his heart to monitor the pain and creating sound waves out of that i could see that happening turning pain into music that's exactly we already have a method for that it's called the blues but okay if you want to, <laughs> if you want to try that that's fine um you also had a big part in a u.s series called tyrant yeah yeah um first of all is that shot in the u.s no um i've i've come to realize that people don't shoot stuff in the u.s anymore uh, uh that was shot in let me see we shot the first season in Tel Aviv, and then Tel Aviv and Istanbul. Mm -hmm. Season two, we shot in Morocco and Budapest, and then season three, we shot in Budapest. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> fantasy of filmmaking. What was that, or TV making? What was that experience like to be part of a U.S. production, if for lack of a better yeah, term? I, it's FX, right? Who has that? It's FX, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Fox Twenty One. Um, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, I mean. You talk about professionals. These guys know exactly what they're doing. These are the same producers that made Homeland and Twenty Four, and 
Um, so they know what they're doing as far as production goes, and they know how to take care of their people, and they know how to how to make the production roll. Especially at, at I mean, the scale that we were working at, uh, I think we we're at like three and a half, four million dollars an episode. So everything was huge, and every week new actors flew in from all over the world to play. Day players came in from all over the world. It was fantastic. I mean, it was um, it was fun. Great team. Great bunch of actors. Um, stay in touch still to this day on a daily basis. Uh, How did you get the role? Well, I auditioned for it a year earlier by self tape, and didn't hear anything. You know, you send all these self tapes out into the world. Uh, heard nothing. Thought didn't think of it. And then a year went by, and I got this new self tape. And they're like, "It's Tyrant. We need this right away." It's like, ah, I'm on my way out. I, I had this thing to do. And I just grabbed my phone. Uh, I, I got the script. And I was like, all right, I'm going to cut away all the other lines. And I'm going to do it, do it as a monologue. So I did that and just sent it off on my phone. Didn't even edit. Didn't do anything. And then that was on a, th that was on a Wednesday. On the, the day after Thursday, they called and said, can you be in Morocco on Monday? I was like, all right, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll fly to Morocco. <laughs> Flew to Morocco, got there. And... People were telling me, they were like, oh, it's a fantastic part. He had Rashid, he's this rebel leader, blah, blah. I was like, I, haven't, I, don't, I don't have a script. I don't have my lines. The dialect coach called me up at the beautiful hotel they had. And she was like, oh, I'm here to work on your lines. I'm like, I, I don't know what the lines are. <laughs> first things it's first. Arabic accent. Blah, blah. <laughs> first things first, let's, let's figure out the lines. She's like, no, it's just one line. Um, uh, who doesn't enjoy fireworks? That's your whole line. I was like, that's it? Yes, that's it for the pilot. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, that's a great part. I do my line. I went in. I did it. And then from there, it just kind of grew. Like the part from for every episode grew. And then they started sort of morphing him into the, the antagonist of the whole thing. And by season two and three, he's like the main antagonist of the whole of the whole show. Uh, started off as a guest star and turned into a series regular by season two and season three and and what does that what does that do for like your recognition factor in the US now? Do people uh, know who you are a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was in LA just a couple of months ago and and absolutely people more and more actually cuz they people tend not to watch things when they air. Right. Now they binge. We have the luxury. <laughs> yeah, we have the luxury. So recently like now that it's shown up and popped up on Netflix and people have started watching it um in the US a lot more. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's fun. Nice. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Which brings us to your latest project, Advocaten, Advocaten. which is, and you are the advocate, the lawyer, I am. the lawyer I am. carrying the project. Feel pressure? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really get the whole pressure thing. We're, we're actors. Um, and naturally I feel pressure as far as, I mean, I'll do all the work. I'll do tons and tons and tons of research and I'll, I'll, I won't come unprepared to set and I'll, I'll, I'll do all the work basically. But at the end of the day, we're not curing cancer here. We're just making, this is entertainment. If we can teach someone something along the way, fantastic. But it is, we're just trying to be entertaining. If it fails, then uh, nobody dies you know, the sun will come up tomorrow. That's a healthy There's, attitude. Yeah. It's it's like I feel a lot more pressure with, you know, how my son's going to do on his math test next week. I have a couple of questions I want to get into. Yeah. One, you are a father yeah. and a husband. Yeah. How do you balance, uh, hey, got to be in Morocco on Monday? Well, that, that all comes down to it's easy for me to go to Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, more on point is is how how does my wife do it? Because uh, she's the one who sort of has to because she's a freelance journalist, so she works at home. But she's the one who has to sort of make everything work while I'm gone. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's a miracle to me that she that she manages. Uh, she always says. Uh, uh, she has a podcast too. The I was the, about to say we have yeah. to give her a shout out. Yeah, the Nultimata Ferelra Podan. There you go. Yeah, Olga Kulor. She has it with Olga Kulor, who has a husband, Kodra Kulor, who's also in the entertainment business. So they're they're both sort of every now and then left to to, <laughs> to, to take care of everything. Yeah, and so they can commiserate and and talk about that whole thing. And uh, 
I mean, it's 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 rough, but at the same time, nowadays I have a clause <laughs> in all the contracts for stuff that's being shot in interesting places. Like I shot this um, American movie called Double Play with Ernest Dickerson. Um, and it was the lead, so I knew I had to be on set all the time. Uh, but it was shooting in Curacao, so I knew I couldn't go back and forth. So I, I just said, listen, I want you tell my agents that they can whatever they want to do as far as pay goes that's up to them whatever they think is fair is fair but i want five tickets and a large place to stay like a big hotel room um so we can all fit and i'm bringing them all so we'll stay we'll go to curacao for two months and then we'll go to we were in tel aviv we were in budapest we were in la we've been are your kids old enough to be appreciating this and enjoying it they i mean they still talk about curacao not the youngest. The youngest one's three, so he hasn't really. I think he remembers L.A., uh, but but the other ones definitely. Uh, they want to move to every place we've been. You're creating the next generation of talent. I can see what's happening. Oh here. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you talk about being prepared on set uh, as part of my preparation. I've been listening to a couple of other your interviews. I think you have a real interesting method yeah. where you like to record the complete script on yeah. your phone and listen to it over and over again to get into the story, the character? Why, yeah. why, have, why have you chosen this method? Well, it started with something that I heard um, in an interview with Anthony Hopkins a lot, many, many years ago. And he said he used to read the script every day from page to page, cover to cover. And uh, I just thought, well, that's really cool. And I started trying to do that. And I hate reading scripts. I mean, scripts are, are hang boring. Hang on, hang on. What's your job? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm aware. <laughs> now, th but scripts are not like books. They're not. They're not entertainingly written. No. They're blueprints for something else. It's like reading a map, really. Um, and so the entertainment value is not there in the script, uh, oftentimes. But I really wanted to try this, just to read it over and over and over and over again. So I, I decided, let me record it. And so I did that, and I realized that by recording it, I can listen to it more times than I could ever read it in one day. Because mm -hmm. you can't very well read it while you're walking and you, or exercising or In the whatever. car or whatever. In the car, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, another uh, interesting factor of that is that I can read it if, you know, if you've been out having dinner and you, you had a few glasses of wine, you're going to listen to it with other ears than you did uh, at the gym. And also, I put it, I, I turn it on on my headphones when I go to bed and I put on repeat so it's in my ears all night. So subliminally influencing you somehow. Yeah. Uh, and if I and a lot of times I'll wake up at night and I'll be like, Whoa, and I'll email the director. And uh, Do you find these things infecting your dreams? Yes, or? which is really cool that you could dream scenes out of the, wow. the project that you're going to do, um, uh, which is really, really interesting to me. Do they ever, are they ever anything like the final scenes that you actually shoot or are they just... Well, they're definitely, stuff does change. I mean, if I've read it and I thought, all right, this is what this scene is going to be. And then I've, woke something woke me up in the middle of the night and I'm like, no, this is what, the, and I've actually changed ideas and, and thoughts that I've had, um, realized things about the character, or, you know. All right, let's get into Advocat then a little bit, take yeah. some of this specifically. Are you guys finished with the whole first season? Are you still shooting? We, no, we're all done. We're all done. We've got some ADR left, and then we're we're all good to go. And so how many episodes do we have for season Ten. one? Ten. Ten episodes. Okay, yeah. I've been through four, Right. and uh, I'm fascinated by your character. Wonderful. What, what I mean, it goes from zero to 60 like this. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's a, 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 just to give people a little background, you... And your sister right. are separated as young children after the murder of your parents. Right. And then 20 years later, you come back together because your sister is on the case. Right. She has a lead. She thinks she knows who's responsible. Right. And it turns out it's someone who you end up working for the law firm that represents them. Yeah. Because you want to get close to them. But your character goes from this straight arrow by the book guy, right. really, I mean, really just clean and above board in every way to a, by any means necessary <laughs> to get close to this gangster lawyer. Yeah. And that is a fascinating transition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your relationship to sort of the law? Have you 
been in trouble? Have you studied the law? Have you been on either <laughs> side of this in real life? No, I mean, I've only in preparation for... I've been pretty clean all my life. <laughs> I don't mean anything about no, that. No, <laughs> I know, I know. I've been fairly, I've been fairly good all my life. Uh, but I've, I mean, in, in preparing, I've always been fascinated by the law. I applied to go to the police academy here in Sweden uh, five years ago. Not to become a police officer, just to get the education of the, a police officer. The criminal officer. justice part of it. Just to, yeah. yeah, just get the full, just to become a trained police officer and then go on being an actor. And you can do that, uh, what do you call it, on, by just, uh, uh, yeah, audit the course without having to go for the final degree and all that stuff? No, no, no. It's, you don't have to be at the school. You could do oh, it. Oh, a distance. Okay. Distance, yeah. Um, and, and still become a full, fully fledged police officer. Now, that didn't pan out because I had to go off and play a police officer. <laughs> so it didn't work. <laughs> but I've always been fascinated with law and, and the, the judicial system and, um, and so in, pre in preparation for the lawyer, I, I dropped my kids off at school and daycare and then I'd go to the courthouse and I would sit there from, you know, early morning until evening. Watching every, criminal cases? Watching criminal cases every day for three and a half months, hours and hours, hundreds of hours of, of, of cases that I'd see and follow from beginning to end. Uh, everything from murders to, you know, shoplifting, um, which is just be, I'm just fascinated by it. I learned tons. Did you did you see like a sense of performance among some of these lawyers who were presenting oh. their cases? Are they? Oh Jesus Christ! Yes. <laughs> oh my Lord! I mean, they're actors. Um, not only not only are they actors when they speak, uh, opening statements and closing statements and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, but they're also actors when they just sit. There's an act to. How much do you look at the prosecutor while they're talking? Don't if you look at them too much, there might it might seem like they're making a good point. <laughs> if you're just scribbling in your notebook, it's like eh, this isn't even touching me. This is nothing. This is, you know what I mean? Like uh, there's there's acting to every single part of it. And also, I mean, in the in in the lawyer, the first the opening scene when I'm in court. Um, we wanted to have a good case. We wanted to have something to show that he's a good lawyer, but we couldn't put it in Sweden because in Sweden we don't have a jury. I think it's interesting how it crosses Orasund, the story, by yeah. the way, but we'll come back to that. Yeah. I mean, if you put it in Denmark, there's a jury and you could speak to their emotions because they're regular people. That, that uh, classic courtroom drama. Exactly. Uh, in Sweden, you've got bureaucrats sitting in, you know, uh, so it doesn't really work that way. It's not as dramatic. So that was one of the reasons for making it... Uh, a production that crossed the border to allow no, for that? No, I think the reason, the main reason for that was uh, money. Money, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a co-production, Denmark, Sweden, uh, which is a good thing. I, it's the same thing with, if you watch these American shows now, and you, if you know that it's cheaper to shoot in, say, Budapest, right? Um, the, the nature of the show itself is going to change, and the nature of the, what TV looks like changes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone loves to see New York on film. But New York became Toronto. And what exactly. New York became <laughs> Toronto, yeah. Everyone loves to see New York, but if you have to shoot in Milwaukee, you can't write the movie Manhattan. You have to figure out what stories. All of a sudden, you've got three billboards outside of yeah. Missouri. What's that? Yeah, yeah. you know the movie. Uh, so I, I love the idea of this sort of crossing over and spreading out. I think uh, it's it reflects our real life somehow as well. I yeah. mean, we live, if you live in Skåne, you live across Orison, you're going you to work or, you know, coming to Copenhagen from Malmo, whatever. And so, also, you've got a whole new pool of actors, all these Danish actors that that that, that came in. I mean, Tumas Bolashen's a legend, yeah. Nikolai Copernicus, and all these guys who, who came in just gives it another tone. And uh, Nikolai plays your boss. Yeah. He comes back to the, you're talking about all these, you know, the, the, your presence as a lawyer. I like the way he's always playing with your character. He's always yeah. sort of grabbing a lapel or touching an earlobe. Touching <laughs> that was very. Uh, hell? We, my wife and I both stopped on that. Wait, what? what you, that was very. <laughs> I know, I know. We had different different levels of reactions on the earlobe. We're like, touch his earlobe. Uh, Baker actually directed that that scene. Is like, well, let's uh, let me touch his earlobe. And, and we were trying to figure out, well, how big of a reaction do we want? We can't make the scene about the earlobe. <clears throat> but um, but he he sells it. He's got such warmth that 
it's something about his power. Yeah. It really, it really, it really establishes sort of the relationship between those two characters. Yeah. Early on, we does. We were, we, my wife and I were both arrested by that. Whoa, what happened? Yeah, yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Nice choice by your brother. Uh, so, when you got on board this project, yeah, you have you have Jens Lapidus behind it. Oh, yeah. You have uh, Michael Yort. You have uh, what's our, Hans Rusedal, who's who's responsible for Bruin. So you have yeah. like a. A really a uh, super team oh, yeah. already in place when it starts. So expectations are high coming in across the board? They are. Um, I, I mean, it, it, that's one of the reasons why I so wanted this project. Um, I, heard, I heard you say it was a dream role for you. It was a dream role. I mean, it was such a Like I said, actors, we just throw out auditions left, right, and center. Uh, and we don't really know when they're, where they're going to land or who's going to offer what. But with the lawyer, I'd actually said in an interview right after Tyron, I, they asked me, what do you want to do next? And I said, I'd love to like play a lawyer and I like, cause I'd been wearing these boots and get military. Get me out of the mud. <laughs> yeah. Get me out of the mud. I was like, I want to play a lawyer with suits and nice floors and just courtrooms. And the three days later, they hadn't heard the interview. It just came down like mana from heaven. They just, <laughs> three days later, they called, Hey, we, we have this show called the lawyer. Would you want to come in and audition for it? And I went in. And I loved it so much that after I'd prepared the audition, because it's not only the, the three gentlemen you mentioned, but it's also uh, Niklas um, uh, Wikstrom Nicastro, the producer, and Joachim Hansson. And I'd worked with both of them on Johan Falken and Jönsson Ligan and loved them. I just love working for them. Um, and I, I did the audition, prepared like a madman. We did the audition. I went home. I went to Baker. I was like, listen, I got to go that extra mile to get this part. So we went out and shot a short movie, The Lawyer, based on the audition material that I had. We went to law offices. I got all dressed up. We shot shots of me on the street and the, and with the dialogue and the, the, just all kinds of stuff. And we were going to, you know, we did the color correction on it and the sound editing. And we were going to send it in and be like, come on, guys. I mean, I'm the lawyer. Come on, give me the part. But before we had a chance to finish it, they already offered the part. Man, I'm really impressed by your level of ambition, and I like the way you. you're on it together as a family. That's cool. That's a really cool story behind it. Your brother directed a couple of episodes. Are you a package deal these days? I I, I want us to be. No, the, he actually, because I, I really wanted him to direct it. Because uh, this is something, we just love working together. Uh, but by then, by that time, they already they had already chosen the director. The director's been on for years and years. Um, Gate Henning Hopland, and and I but I'd already told the the, the producers I was like, oh come on come on come on let's do it this way. Uh, once I had the part, and then they were like, oh sorry we already picked the director, but a uh, few months pass and we need to go down and do some extra stuff, some second unit stuff. And they're like, I mean we've got the second unit directing thing if you want to. And I was like, yeah, ask him please. Start. And I convinced him to like do it, just do it. We'll get to do a little bit together. I don't want to reveal anything, but did you guys shoot any of that second unit stuff in Stockholm? Uh, no, we shot it all in Skåne, in no. Copenhagen. Okay, I know there are a couple exterior shots in Stockholm that are supposed to be called Skåne. Really? I, uh, no, no, won't no. Go into, uh, but again, I, I was, I really like the way, you sort of, you're covering, sort of the characters. You know, you and Malin are both playing these very layered characters. Malin has her demons. Oh you yeah. Know, the police, the narcotic police who's got her addictions and all that stuff you a character who's making this transition from this sort of upright life to an unexpected chase into this dark world yeah talked about some of the danish actors who are part of it the women in this are amazing you, know, oh. you, you, you play opposite Malin, who obviously is you know having her moment uh, in the first four episodes, you have, is it Liv Munez? Munez. Uh, Munez, who plays also sort of a professional and personal friend to your yeah. character, yeah. who pays a price, I guess, for that friendship. Yeah. But uh, some really great performances across the board. Every time Absolutely. you turn, when you move from the courtroom to the privacy of the cabin yeah. to the underworld yeah. and smoothly through all of those that are very different worlds and then they come yep. together and sort of i get the sense of the law as a filter kind of hiding not necessarily protecting but hiding us wow. from yeah. this darkness that's going Absolutely. on and your character navigating this is just amazing uh, 
how challenging is it to sort of, okay, you have the guy, he's this upright guy, but in 30 seconds, he's going to make the transition. How do you do that as an actor? I don't it's, think it's two that, different yeah, roles. Yeah, but I, I always look at it like it's he's he, he's not really an upright guy. He's a, he's he is what he is, but he's hiding it behind a veneer of being upright. That's why he's so, that's why he's so correct. I mean, and anybody who's who's normal would say, all right, the, the bottle of whiskey that he gets offered in the first, yeah, would just ah screw it, give me the bottle. Right. No, he's but making if, that. He's making he's his make, point yeah, there. Three fifty and over. Cut it. Yeah, that's a bribe. Because he's trying so hard to not crack. I mean, I look at Frank as somebody who he never eats a good meal. He never has a good meal of food. He never sits and has a bottle of wine. Enjoys it. Enjoys it. He eats because he has to live. He eats to live. Uh, that's why I always want. I also want him to be thin, thinner than I am. I want him to be sort of thin and 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 sort of. He never has music playing in the background in his apartment. He never watches TV or plays an instrument. He never cooks. There's no joy. He doesn't. He, he, there's no joy. There's no light. Uh, all he does is sit with his computer and work, and then he goes to the to work. Even when he works out, he's not like joking around with no, the guys. It's, it's frustration it's, coming it's frustra- out exactly, yeah. and so it's, he he battles his demons just like his sister does. But they they've just chose chosen two different paths, two different mo's basically. So maybe this is some truth about who he is emerging in exactly. the character. Exactly, uh, fascinating. I'm I'm really looking forward to see where this takes us, and I hope there'll be a season two. I hope that you guys don't end this after ten episodes because I'm hooked. I don't think I, I'm hooked after four. Um, what else are you working on? Well, I, I naturally there's the secret projects that one cannot mm, must not <laughs> shan't speak of. But also, I'm actually a writer these days. Uh, I wrote a book. A book? A book. What's the topic? What's the, what's the? It's a suspense thriller sort of uh, thing. Uh, not at all like this. Uh, it was supposed to be, I've, I've written a lot of scripts in my day um, to short films, features, and, and, and TV series. And I was going to write, I got the, this idea for a, for a feature uh, with myself in the lead. As as I always, but that I mean, as always when I write. But but this is I think part of being a modern actor slash creator. Yeah. you have to take a broader responsibility. You do yeah. absolutely. Uh, but then as I was sitting there, I was in Budapest and I had all this time on my hands, and I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to write it as a script because then I've got to deal with producers and blah. I'll just write it as a book. And I started, and a year later it was done, 400 pages. And I I was naive. I knew nothing of the book industry. But I've seen books on bookshelves. I've they they all got published. I've read. I but I have read one or two in my day, and I I thought books get published, so I sent it to the biggest publishing house. I had the two big ones, Bonnier and Neustadt's. I chose Neustadt's. I was like, I send it to them. They'll probably publish it. It took a month. I was like, what's taking them so long to decide to publish my book? <laughs> Don't they and know I, who I am? Don't they know who I think I am? That I not even. I just thought it was a good book. I was like, publish it. I I. I, I, uh, I googled uh, to check like what's what's the ratio of all the books they get sent. It turns out the ratio is they get two thousand books and they accept somewhere between zero and two books a year. I was like, oh my Jesus! I maybe I should find a backup plan. I started looking for others, um, but then I got the call. About the same odds as getting the lead in something like Advocaten. Exactly. <laughs> but then I got the call from from Neustadt and they loved it and they want to publish it and we signed and and. Uh, and yeah, so now that's coming out, and also it's being um, worked on to to translate to, to I assume feature. That, I assume there's an arc here. We'll see the book, then we'll get the option, indeed, and you'll be producing it with your brother directing it, Sounds and good. you'll be starting. I won't it. be producing it though. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm hoping for the producers of this. Aha, uh-huh. yeah, smart, yeah, yeah. We're smart, talking. smart. Um, can I ask you the difference between working on sort of something like the American production, where you're in Budapest, you say? Three million an episode, everything that you need there, versus working on a Scandinavian production. What's the difference? Nothing really. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you, 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 Americans have you get paid more. <laughs> scale, <laughs> scale. Then. Yeah, you get. You, I mean, they, but other than that, it's really the same thing. I mean, what it all comes down to is. Uh, you're going to stand in front of somewhere between 30 to, if you're in Sweden, you've got maybe 30 people. If you're in this 30 to 50 people and there, you've got maybe a hundred people mm. and a bunch of producers and stuff like that. So just more specialists on just the... a lot more and a lot more producers, people from different, you know, 
but then at the what it all boils down to is someone's going to yell quiet roll sound camera's going to point at you they have one or two cameras never more and then action and you just got to do what you do and that's it's really just the same thing wherever you are when it comes to the mo- when it comes when to it the comes performance to the work, yeah. yeah it's it's just the same thing i don't i don't feel any more pressure working there um, other people have said similar things that okay there there maybe the trailer has some more stuff in it whatever but but when the work when the time yeah, there's some trailer. work yeah. that's a, that, that that's the difference uh, uh, can i ask you we didn't we didn't mention uh, dying of the light right right which you're in with nicolas cage yeah and uh i i mean i find this fascinating i don't know how many other people are interested in things like that but how that's a project that's the the vision of an actor and a writer director right that in America has too many producers perhaps involved. Yeah. And at the end of the day, becomes something that wasn't the vision of the original creators. Right. You know, right. was it Brett Ratner who came in? Came in later? Yeah. I, I don't know. Where people who are not creative come in and decide that they have to have some influence and, yeah. and take something out of someone's hands. Yeah. I don't feel that happening in this market, or I don't no. hear those stories as commonly as I do from the States. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between. I mean, in I don't the know, states, I, I don't know if that made any sense to anyone. It listening, did. But go yeah, and no, I see. I know. Yeah, it made sense to me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in the case of Dying of the Light, the problem was that that Paul Schrader, uh, one of my big idols, um, direct, wrote and, direct, and directed the movie. And once he was done, and the edit, he handed in his edit uh, with Niklas Winding Refn, great Danish director, uh, and. The the script that he had written was pure Paul Schrader. I mean, he wrote Taxi Driver, co-wrote uh, Raging Bull. And Anything we've heard of. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, and this was just, he'd spent seven years writing the script. It was beautiful. I loved it. Uh, but then they didn't like it. They thought it was too artsy. It was the script that he'd actually handed in. But they took it away from him because he didn't have final final cut. And they re-edited it. They cut away all the sort of good parts, and they turned it into something that it definitely wasn't. You don't, you can't even recognize the script from the from the if you watch the movie. Um, but I don't, I don't know if they brought in another director. But the problem was that they just took it from him, and then that was that. Then he tried to get it. Then he said, "All right, well, now after years and years after, he, he said, well, what if I take the give me just give me the material? Let me re-edit it." I'll give you all the money. All the proceeds will go to you. I just want my vision to get at least yeah, come to life. Exactly. And they, uh, Lionsgate, who had the, the the ownership of it, said yes. But Grindstone, their VD, VOD place, said no because of, you know. It's already uh, out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he didn't get to do that. Um, uh, he did it anyway, I think. <laughs> for uh, And, you know, just with the material that was there. How, but, how does that uh, feel? How does that feel as a performer? You know, you're at the whims of sort of these different forces. I mean, it's it's tough, but it's a lot tougher for someone like Paul. I mean, that's his vision. Seven years for us, for for me and Cage and Anton Yeltsin, who were, who was in it. For us, we'll just go on and do another movie. But for someone like that, he's put, poured his heart and soul into it, and he was there for the whole financing. And we just got a script, basically, and. Yeah, hey, you want to do this? Yeah. Ooh. But if it's his vision and it I mean if it if it it might have resonated differently and that might have meant something for your career if it absolutely been treated as he had want, intended. A- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean we we still I spoke to him just yesterday, uh Paul and and I mean he, he absolutely. But I feel more sorry sorry for him than for anybody else. And I've to I mean the difference between there and here is since you do have the option of uh getting final cut in the states, in Sweden, uh, you can't you can't negotiate that away from your deal as a director. You're protected. You're completely protected. You cannot enter a deal where you say, "All right, well, if you have final cut, then you know where you just." Is that praxis or is it legislated? How's that control? I love that. It's by the union, uh. so it's 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 in it's in the sort of you know contract of the union that directors have final cut. Period. I wasn't aware of that. That's a significant difference. Yeah, for on features, I I really don't know what it, how what it's like on TV because TV directors is not. It's, I mean, it's not the same job, really. Different thing. Do you prefer TV over film or vice versa? I love them both. I I I had a hard time with TV first season of Tyrant because he, there's no prep time. 
you get the script five days later, you're on set to shoot that scene that you just got. Wait a minute, I have to listen to this. <laughs> I've, I've only heard it 70 times. I've only had five days. But literally, but then what you learn is that it's, you get timed. Once you've found the character, you get that time to sort of like reevaluate the character. So this, this, we, that show started airing before we'd finished shooting. So we were shooting episode six and they started airing episode one. And you get comments from the world. People are saying, you know, oh, I, I don't understand what Ehab is saying, my character, or whatever. Uh, then I can sort of <laughs> make that a little bit tweak, better. Yeah. Tweak, you could tweak. And then also, once you've finished one season, like with Advocatum, mm. if people don't like Frank in Advocatum season one for this or that reason, we can take that into consideration when we go into season two and we can try to make amends. I don't know if I like him, but I'm with, fascinated by him so far. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as far as TV, if movies go, it's like you shoot a movie. When you're done, you're done. There's no, no going back. Right. There's no end changing it. There's, yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. M much more risk. Or I guess everything is at stake there. Yeah. Have you done any theater? Is that part of Tons, your background? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I started off in theater and I did in Malmö, uh, at the Stadstheater, Helsingborg Stadstheater, and I'm doing theater again this year. Oh, what is what are you working uh, on? Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love, nice. End of the year, yeah, I'll, I'll be at Stockholm Stadstheater. Oh, excellent. When does that go uh, off? Main stage. Uh, that's We start rehearsing August 15th, and then we go until December 31st. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm Will, playing what? Will Shakespeare. All right. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I bet. That's something to look forward to. Yeah. But okay, I think we should wrap it up here. Yep. This has been great talking to you. Thanks again for fantastic. taking the time. I know you've been at it all day, so it's we appreciate fun. this. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Thanks Alexander so much, Kareem. Thanks again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed hearing Alexander's story as much as I did talking with him. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tune in. Or take a moment to rate us or give us a few stars wherever you find your podcasts. If you want to reach out, you can find us on Twitter at Stream Closeup. We're always happy to hear from you. And if you have any ideas about who you'd like to hear up here for their Stream Closeup in the future, let us know. As always, we want to thank the good people at I Like Radio for giving us a home. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.